Hello and welcome to today's podcast from the Video Journal of Neurology. We are an open access video journal sharing the latest news in neurology across all major disciplines. Our regular podcasts will bring you exclusive insights from renowned experts on the hottest topics in their fields. In this episode, we will be discussing myelin oligodendrocyte glycoprotein antibody associated disorder or MOGAD. At the Ectrims Congress, we met with Professors Hans Lassman and Kazuo Fujihara and Drs. Vianka Radenbaug and Torje Remper to discuss research updates in this field. This disease was initially categorised as a subtype of multiple sclerosis due to them both being demyelinating and inflammatory, but MOGAD is now considered its own disease entity. Professor Hans Lassman from the Medical University of Vienna kicks us off by discussing the key differences in the pathologies between MS and MOGAD including the topographical distribution of lesions, the type of demyelination, and the nature of the inflammatory response. Both diseases uh, have uh, in common the inflammation and the demyelination. But the uh, demyelination in in the MOC antibody-associated disease develops in the depths of the white matter and uh, by fusion of very small perivenous demyelinating lesions, and then they form large plaques. Whereas in multiple sclerosis you have uh, the typical lesions in the periventricular region and in the cortex uh, related to to meningeal inflammation and they grow by radial expansion so they just get get larger and larger. And there is a very important uh, difference here is that uh, the MOC antibody associated inflammatory lesions are always fresh lesions associated with relapses while in the multiple sclerosis uh, situation, the le- many of these lesions then turn into chronic active lesions which gradually expand and are then responsible also for the progression of the disease which is absent in the MOC antibody-associated disease. It seems to be uh, a different mechanisms on the inflammatory level. So in MS it's uh, driven by B lymphocytes and by CD8 positive, so a specific T cell subset of what was originally was called cytotoxic T cells. Whereas in the MOC antibody disease, it's driven by the antibodies themselves and by CD4, so MHC class 2 restricted T cells, and they seem to make the difference. And a major difference is the involvement of antibodies, which is very important in the MOC antibody-associated disease, but which is much less important in multiple sclerosis. And that has major major implications for therapy, because therapies which target the antibody production and the plasma cells and their effector mechanisms are very effective in, for instance, these antibody-mediated diseases, but not very effective in multiple sclerosis and vice versa. That uh, The therapies which uh, just purely uh, target the inflammation are more effective in multiple sclerosis than in these antibody-mediated diseases. So there are many differences in the underlying pathology and mechanisms of MS and MOGAD. This creates a need for specific diagnostic tools to differentiate the two diseases. This is discussed next by Dr. Bianca Radenbaug from Mayo Clinic College of Medicine, whose research focuses on MOG IgG in cerebrospinal fluid to aid in the diagnosis of MOGAD. We wanted to look at, so MOG IgG is measured in serum mainly at the moment. There have been a few more recent studies that have checked it in CSF. 
Um, most of these studies have been done um, outside of the US. So we want that's one reason we wanted to look at it. And we wanted to look at it in large control populations. And we also wanted to look at it because since, you know, with the new MOGAD diagnostic criteria that just came out in 2023, that does include CSF MOG IgG in it, but um, it doesn't have the same weight as high titer positive serum MOG IgG. So additional criteria are required. So we also wanted to see how CSF MOG IgG would fit in with the diagnostic criteria. So what we did was we evaluated 447 CSF samples, including, so it was four main groups. And the first one, I'll go through each group in turn, was um, controls. So we had 283 controls, and that included inflammatory controls, so patients with multiple sclerosis and um, non-inflammatory controls, which were mostly patients with normal pressure hydrocephalus. And out of that 283, we had four false positives in those controls. So that, that was... 1.4%, that brings it to. So there was a good low number of false positives. The second group we looked at then was 74 patients that were positive for MOG IgG in serum and had a diagnosis of MOGAD. And 89% of them were also positive in the CSF. So that's good agreement between the serum and CSF. Um, It's similar, if not slightly higher than what previous studies have shown. And then the third group was 72 patients who were negative for MOG IgG in the serum, but had a clinically suspicious phenotype for MOGAD. So recurrent optic neuritis mainly, um, or recurrent longitudinally extensive transverse myelitis. So it was to try and find cases of isolated CSF MOG positivity. So negative in the serum, but positive in the CSF, um, because cases of that have been reported. And out of those 72 that we tested, nine were positive, and they all fit the diagnostic criteria, the 2023 diagnostic criteria. So it does capture those patients well, and that isolated CSF positivity can occur. Um, And then the last group we checked was This was 18 patients who were positive for MOG IgG in the serum, but um, they had an alternative diagnosis, so they were false positive. And we all know with um, serum MOG IgG, like with any other test, we can get false positives. And especially when they're low positive, there can be diagnostic confusion with that, whether they're clinically relevant or not. So... Um, in those 18 patients, and we further divided them if into low positives, and because that's when most of the diagnostic confusion is. And with the low positives, if um, low positive patients, if they actually had MOGAD and low positive in the serum, 80% of them were positive in the CSF. And for um, low positive that weren't actually MOGAD that had an alternative diagnosis, 80% of them were negative in the CSF. So one of our conclusions from the study was that this um, CSF MOG can be useful in trying, if you're trying to figure out in a patient where there's diagnostic uncertainty, whether the low positive you got in serum is clinically relevant or not. And then the other thing where a situation in which it would be helpful is 
isolated CSF positivity. So if you have a patient who's negative for serum MOG IgG and you have a high clinical suspicion, it, you could send for CSF um, antibodies too. Now, but the caveat with that is to make sure we're only sending it in patients that we are that have a high clinical suspicion of MOGAD because multiple sclerosis is so much more common and indiscriminately testing everybody would lead to high false positivity. There's a few next steps that we could do. Some studies have looked at um, comparing the clinical phenotype of patients who are positive in CSF versus serum and uh, who are um, and they, some studies have found that the ones who are positive in CSF are more likely to have encephalitis. Now we had small numbers, but when we looked at it, we didn't find a higher number more likely to have encephalitis. The only thing that we found different between the group that were positive in CSF or were positive just in serum was those positive in the CSF were slightly more likely to have relapsing disease. But again, this had a p-value of 0.06, just with small numbers. Um, and then to see if these patients with um, CSF positivity, whether their disease phenotype is different. And I think um, what we would like to do and what everybody should want to do is look at um, prospective multi-center studies where we can look at a lot of patients and see if there is a difference. MOG IgG in CSF may be a potential predictor of relapse, as outlined by Dr. Radenberg. Up next, Dr. Torje Remper from the University of Florida College of Medicine discusses other predictors of relapse in MOGAD, including an onset of disease younger than nine years old, Hispanic ethnicity, and clinical syndrome of meningoencephalitis. Myelin oligodendrocyte glycoprotein antibody associated disorder is a disorder which can have a relapsing or monophasic course. And I think the overall percentage of patients having a relapsing course is not completely clear yet. So, for example, in our, our study, um, two-thirds of patients actually had a relapsing course, and a substantial amount of patients, 19%, actually had their first relapse after their initial event five or more years after. So the estimates may be a little low, but still one third of patients may just have one episode. And so we do not want to start any type of, you know, long-term immunotherapy for these patients who will never have a second event. So identifying the patients that are at risk to develop a relapsing course, and maybe we can stop that second event from happening, it's very important so we can potentially start immunotherapy earlier in the, in these patients. Basically, this is a um, retrospective multicenter study, and um, we have uh, three participating centers. So um, we have uh, the University of Florida, Baylor College of Medicine, and, uh, and the University of California, San Diego. And we started off with uh, reviewing 541 total charts, which we identified by the slicer dicer um, extraction tool um, through Epic, and um, to identify all mock cause of patients. And we identified a total of 88 mock cause of patients and excluded 12 of those, eight because they didn't fulfill the MOGAD diagnostic criteria, and four because they had not sufficient follow-up times. So that left us with a total of 76 patients. So 
as I already mentioned with, with the relapse data, uh, about two thirds of these patients, um, patients relapsed and re relapse times varied with, um, the vast majority, about two thirds again, relapsing within first year, but you know, 19% relapsing, uh, five or more years after, and then looking at different predictors, the, um, predictors we found was a pediatric onset of disease less, um, younger than nine years with a positive predictive value of 92%, meaning that only one of the 13 patients, um, re, um, did not relapse. Then, um, a, uh, Hispanic ethnicity, actually something that multiple other, um, uh, other centers have reported now as well. Um, so of the 15 patients with Hispanic ethnicity, uh, self-reported Hispanic ethnicity, 13 relapsed. And then, uh, we had also a clinical syndrome of meningoencephalitis where um, we had five patients with them um, presented with this and all of these patients relapsed as well as five patients with a profound pleocytosis of um, 150 or more cells and here here again all of those five patients relapsed and this is something that a um, prior group had also reported um by uh, wong et al uh, with a smaller cohort but they also um um found pleocytosis, they, they had to cut off at 50 as a, um, as a potential risk, risk factor. And then there's also repetitive thoughts about does the height of the anti-mock titer play a role? And there were different prior groups who suggested that, including MGH, including, including Wong et al. And also that potentially a persistent mock titer, you know, sent by Mayo in 2018, um, may also be a risk factor for relapsing. Um, and we also found that ictal titers, so titers during the exacerbation that were very high. So, um, one to 10,000, you know, at least one to 10,000, um, had, um, it was a predictor for a relapsing course with, um, five out of six patients relapsing and also a pretty robust intra-ictal titer of one to 1,000 which basically all of those patients uh, developing a relapsing course, uh, which was uh, four patients. Lastly, uh, I already touched base on Im um, immunotherapy. So we don't have a lot of data for what to do uh, in patients with relapsing MOGAD. So we looked at our relapsing MOGAD cohort and looked at you know the most utilized uh, disease-modifying therapies, which were anti-CD20 therapy, mycophenolate, and IVIG. So we saw that anti-CD20 therapy, um, and that's you know kind of mirroring in different groups, even though our data was a little better. Thirteen out of the twenty-four patients um, remained relapse-free, which still make, means a very high uh, high relapse rate. The same for mycophenolates. Um, so six out of ten. I think mean, 60% of patients remain relapse-free. And we are also mirroring the findings that IVIG may be here, the um, most promising maintenance therapy, where um, 11 out of the 14 patients remain relapse-free, so 78.6%. So that's basically, you know, you know the um, uh, most important findings from the study. Uh, it's a retrospective study, and that's, you know, one of the, Biggest limitations. Also, the um, you know due to the retrospective design, there there's heterogeneous data. There are varying follow-up times. Follow-up may not have been long enough. Our median follow-up times for the monophasic patients um, was 24 months. So, if you think that some patients may not be um, 
developing the first relapse until like five years after the initial presentation, we may not have caught all of these relapsing patients. And then also, you know, especially for the predictors, we still have a pretty small sample size. So I think the most important thing here is that we need more independent cohorts that validate these different predictors. Our final speaker, Professor Kazue Fujihara from the Fukushima Medical University School of Medicine, delves into the ongoing Phase 3 meteoroid trial. This trial aims to assess the safety and efficacy of satulizumab, a monoclonal antibody that targets the interleukin-6 receptor in patients with relapsing MOGAD. MOGAD antibody-associated disease, or MOGAD, is a newly recognized clinical entity. Uh, but uh, uh, treatment strategy has not been established. The difficult part is that uh, some patients with MOGAD have only one episode, some monophasic disease. Others have a relapsing disease. So, uh, so we need to identify the patients with relapsing disease. So clearly, uh, they should have uh, uh, at least two episodes uh, to be classified as uh, uh, relapsing disease, and uh, uh, treatment of relapsing MOGAD cases have not been established, and the meteoroid is the, uh, the clinical trial for uh, relapsing MOGAD patients and treated by uh, saturalizumab, IL-6 receptor monoclonal antibodies. Uh, some immunological analysis uh, clearly indicated that IL-6 is upregulated in MOGAD. So uh, suppressing IL-6 signaling uh, may be an effective uh, treatment strategy to prevent further relapse of these disorders. So uh, meteoroid is, the, again, the, the uh, clinical trial, international clinical trial for relapsing, NMO, relapsing MOGAD patients uh, and to evaluate the therapeutic efficacy of saturalizumab. And uh, uh, in some countries, uh, the trial already started. And uh, I myself uh, is about to enroll my patients for this clinical trial. So um, in about a few years, uh, we may be able to get some results, hopefully uh, effic efficacious and uh, relatively safe results uh, are expected, uh, but uh, we should work more. And uh, uh, definitely uh, international collaboration is needed uh, to uh, do this kind of clinical trials. But uh, I, I very much look forward to the, the results. Those were all the updates we had for you today. Thank you so much for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed listening to today's podcast. And if you found it useful, we would love it if you could leave a review. To make sure you don't miss any new episodes, you can subscribe to our podcast on your favourite podcast app, including Spotify, Apple and Podbean. Finally, be sure to follow us on Twitter at VJ Neurology and join in the conversation by visiting vjneurology.com for the latest updates in the field. Until next time.